common theme is there are lawyers who say, I was going to leave, but now I've discovered this new way and I can see how this will help families and what a difference this is going to make and their um, recommitment to their practice and um, just how they feel about themselves and um, you know the culture at large like it's very transformational. Hello I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Saskatoon lawyer Charmaine Panko. Charmaine is the featured guest in season 5 episode 2 of YXC Underground. When a couple is going through a divorce or separation, it can be a hostile and at times painful process. Emotions can run high and sometimes the best interests of children are set aside during this adversarial process. However, a change in our province's Divorce Act is hoping to make the divorce or separation process more respectful and collaborative. And this is music to Charmaine Panko's ears. For years, Charmaine has been practicing family law in Saskatoon with an emphasis on collaborative law and mediation. Her work is helping families in Saskatoon, and she shares her passion in this episode of YXE Underground. On July 1st, 2022, a change was made to Saskatchewan's Divorce Act to make the process of getting a divorce less adversarial. Now, I'll do my best to explain the change without sounding too much like a law professor. Basically, before a couple goes to court to seek a divorce, a process which can become quite adversarial, both parties must participate in something called alternative dispute resolution. Think of it like hitting a pause button in the divorce process. Before a couple heads into a courtroom to make their arguments before a judge on matters like finance, property, and children, they will meet with a mediator or collaborative lawyers to see if solutions can be found through respectful conversation and shared goals. A couple of quick definitions here. In collaborative law, each person involved has their own specially trained lawyer. Both lawyers commit to resolving all matters between the people involved without fighting in court. In mediation, a neutral third party is used to facilitate negotiations and conversations for people in disagreement to reach a mutually satisfactory solution. Collaborative law and mediation are aspects of family law Charmaine Panko has been practicing for years. Now, Charmaine's path to becoming a well-respected lawyer in Saskatoon is quite the story. She grew up in Maple Creek, Saskatchewan, and went to New York City to become an actress. Then, she married a stand-up comedian and moved to Toronto, where they started an entertainment agency. Charmaine and her husband eventually moved to Saskatoon, and she enrolled in law school at the University of Saskatchewan as a mature student. Charmaine wanted to pursue law for a few reasons. She wanted to learn more about the legal system to help her entertainment agency, and she was also just curious about the law and its impact on our society. Charmaine worked in a corporate firm for 10 years after graduating, but was always intrigued by family law. So she started a niche practice focusing on conflict resolution. Her firm practices all types of law, but focuses primarily on family law. Spend some time with Charmaine and you'll quickly realize how important, meaningful, and empathetic discussion is to her. She credits her 96-year-old father for her passion of getting people in a room to talk out their problems. 
They really think that my dad planted this seed in my mind. And so I'll tell you a little bit about my dad just to, for context. So he's 96 years old. He's a war, World War II vet. He's a cowboy. And uh, my sister and I have a younger sister, five years younger than I am. And her and I will often sort of talk about how our dad had cowboy logic. So that's not really something you'd find written down anywhere or that anybody teaches you, but it's just some common sense. And one of the things that he always did when we were growing up, because my, my sister and I were, you know, typical siblings. We often had little disputes about things, but he would call a family meeting. So he would say, okay, we're going to have a family meeting about whatever the dispute was. Um, one thing that I remember is earmuffs. My sister and I had fights about our earmuffs. I don't know. It's weird. But uh, so he'd call a family meeting and everybody had a chance to say their piece. And uh, then, you know, what some kind of resolution would come out of it. And, and I think that that modeling and some of the other modeling that came around the problem solving. We had horses and you, um, there were just lots of things you had to do as a, a family, as a, a rodeoing family, a balancing, you know, my dad worked for the government as well as um, going out to rodeos every weekend and there was just like lots of problem solving you always had to do and that's when I, I remember it was never in my family so much that, well, this is just the way things are. It was always here's something that needs to be figured out and whatever it was that ever had to be figured out toaster was broken or a calf was being born or we had to be across the province at a certain time it was always just about figuring out the problem mediation and collaborative law when it comes to divorce is something colleen mopofu mcbride supports as well colleen is a clinical social worker and works in private practice as a therapist with women couples and families she enrolled in an Introduction to Family Law class for non-lawyers, hosted by Charmaine, and it introduced Colleen to the idea of mediation. Colleen then did Charmaine's mediation training in order to learn new ways she could support families and couples in her private practice. I asked Colleen how mediation benefits couples and families. Mediation really is about encouraging people that even if you don't... Um, want to share your life in the same way anymore or maybe you don't even like each other that you can still be kind and responsible and adult-like in your interactions. Um, I think most people understand that you know in all areas of other areas of their life but when it comes to matters of the heart we tend to forget that we could still access kind of higher functioning parts of us with if we have the right support and I think mediation is mediators are able to offer that support which then in the long run well I think most people what probably draws them first is it's a whole lot cheaper <laughs> but what draws me more so is that in the long run it keeps relationships from really being severed in a way that has a lot of animosity and misunderstandings. So in mediation, you can gain more understanding as to why something might matter to someone or why something might matter more to you, right? And how that you can have a space to have a voice, for your voice to be heard on why that's that part of the pie is important to you. I really love the idea of people understanding what is important to not only the other person, but to themselves as well. And it's something Charmaine discusses in our conversation that you are about to hear. 
Charmaine was kind enough to meet me at the Yard and Flagon pub, and we covered a lot of ground in our conversation. She's a really great talker, and I really love the aspects of our conversation where she talks about her motivation for getting into family law. I started by asking Charmaine if she could describe what happens when the mediation or collaborative process begins. So once we've had those one-to-one -one meetings, then um, we do come together. And like I said before, it might be in person, it could be virtual, it could be um, a specialized design depending on the dynamics. And our intention in sitting together in a series of meetings is to really identify what are the issues that need to be sorted through. So in all family situations, you know, there's some basic legal things to discuss, the property, the finances, the children. But in mediation and collaboration, of law, you can talk about other things that a judge could never consider because a judge doesn't have jurisdiction. So if parents want to sit down and they want to talk about what their parenting philosophy is going to be about their 14-year-old um, teenage girl who's really been asking for a tattoo, and uh, the parents maybe have different philosophical opinions about that and they want to hash it out a bit in the presence of a neutral third party, uh, they can do that in mediation. They can raise it in a collaborative process. And I'll just also say, in terms of a distinction, mediation involves the one neutral third party. It doesn't have to be a lawyer. It's the person who's trained in mediation to really help them work through a process. A little bit like a coach, a little bit like a referee, kind of like a facilitator. In the collaborative law process both parties each have their own collaboratively trained lawyer so we have the same type of training as a mediator does in understanding interest-based negotiations as opposed to rights-based or positional negotiation and we're working together on the same team but we're there to really help in the um, having our own clients voice be heard in the discussions and to talk about the law from the perspective of how we might see it applies to our client. And yet at the same time, the law itself is... I mean, it's it's neutral in the sense that here's what the law is. How I interpret it and apply it to your circumstance might be different than how someone else's lawyer would in their circumstance, but we're both going to agree this is what the law is. So then for the parties to hear each lawyer say, well, it could be applied this way or it could be applied that way, we really think that that's very helpful for parties to realize I can sit in a room with two lawyers, they both agree what the law is, but they both also agree that it could be applied differently depending on how a third party like a judge would interpret the facts that are being presented. So the collaborative law process has the exact same intention as mediation as far as working through those legal issues and any other issues that the parties want to work through um, and utilizing an interest-based lens to do that to ultimately try to get to an agreement. If you're working with a mediator you might get that agreement um, without ever involving Involving lawyers, though we always recommend it's good to have independent legal advice. In the collaborative law process, you have your lawyers with you as part of that process and that experience all along. And we involve other professionals as may be appropriate. Sometimes parties can benefit from having a neutral financial expert to help them understand their finances. Um, they might benefit from having a child specialist involved if their children have special needs or even just to help support the children in this transition from having one home that everybody lives under the same roof to now having two homes and um, having a schedule that 
that uh, builds that in in a way that they didn't have to before. You know, when you were talking, Charmaine, about having the, the two collaborative lawyers um, with, with their respective clients and, you know, you're working towards the same goal, I was just picturing, you know, you're, you're all pulling in the same direction kind of deal. Is, is that, um, you know, for yourself, is that... Is that refreshing? I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but is, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, um, I mean, there's so many things we can talk about, Eric, of course. But, um, so one of the things that if you read about um, the profession of, of law and specifically family lawyers and sort of some very depressing statistics that um, family lawyers can be very unhappy people because living in the midst of um, that adversarialness every day where families are not only separating, so it's not just that they're separating and transitioning into these separate and apart lives, but they're doing so in a way that is like a tug of war, so exactly opposite. And in fact, there's this book um, by a, a judge out of Ontario, Justice um, Brownstone, and the book is called Tug of War. And I strongly recommend um, this book and uh, the visual on the cover is actually a rope being pulled apart and and that's what it's like when families are going through the, an adversarial system where they they are not only have come apart to start off with but now their their children are being put in the middle and being pulled and and the, and just uh, like I love the fact that you recognize in the collaborative process it's like well we're all pulling towards or pushing towards sort of the same objective what's going to be best for the children, what's going to be best for the family system. Because here's the thing, when you separate, when you transition into separate and apart homes, you're actually still a system. Even if you didn't have children, because often you'll have some common um, social networks, right? Um, sometimes you work in the same place for that matter, but you add children in there for sure, and you always have that connection. And it's not just the two parents and the children, it's the two parents and the grandparents and the aunties and uncles and the cousins and the school and the school teachers and the friends and the sports teams. And, you know, so if you took a a large piece of paper and you drew out instead of like a family tree of a family system so it's like what are all of the connecting points and how does this all work um, in a collaborative process and in mediation we can draw that out and we can look at it and say okay if this is going to shift how will that impact these other pieces in the adversarial process which causes um, so much um, difficulty for, for lawyers in terms of their own mental health and uh, feelings of job satisfaction is because you're seeing this even if you don't really recognize it you're actually seeing the splinters in these systems and splinters that then are just left to bleed because we don't have um, processes in place to be able to help people figure out well what do you do once you get that court order or once you know you're you get this nasty letter from the other side that says you know here are my demands because it's very, um, it's it's not supportive of the human relationship, the interconnectedness that we have, and. Um, so for lawyers that are only working in that environment, like every day, it's a very, um, 
there are so many people that just leave the profession. So the question, you know, I have to answer questions in a really long roundabout way, but I get back to it about the refreshingness of it. Uh, because we do training out of my office as well, a common theme is there are lawyers who say, I was going to leave, but now I've discovered this new way and I can see how this will help families and what a difference this is going to make and their um, recommitment to their practice and um, just how they feel about themselves and um, you know the culture at large like it's very transformational how, how does that make you feel well it's it's wonderful because <clears throat> I say sorry Excuse me. So, yeah, it's um, it makes me feel very optimistic. Um, having 11 children of my own, um, two of which now are married and have children of their own, and you can, you know, you start to see the world through a lens that's just not about yourself, right? You're thinking about what's life going to be like for my children as they have relationships that sometimes uh, their life journey is that they're going to transition out of one relationship into a different relationship or it to being separate and apart and they may or may not have children and then their children it'll be the same thing so how do we start to develop a different way of thinking about um, these transitions instead of it being about being broken up or even being separated instead of saying you know one parent's house and the other parent's house like how about the children's houses right they go to they have more than one house that they go to like change our terminology change how um our language, yeah, and, and how we're interacting with this. And so very optimistic that the kinds of changes that are being implemented, you know, from a, a legislative perspective, the training that's been happening over the course of the last decade within the law schools to help lawyers to be thinking not just through that adversarial lens, um, that precedent lens, but from the problem-solving lens, right? We're counselors for a reason, right? We're problem solvers. That's really the essence of advocacy, if you ask me. It's not about advocacy. Uh, zealous advocacy is about me really understanding what the problem is, what is the issue, and doing everything in my power to help you get a resolution to that issue, which is, doesn't mean doing everything in my power to make sure that you get the right legal result, because the right legal result might not actually um, be the most beneficial for your overall system. So how can I help you be connected with the right people, the right processes to get to the outcome that's not only a correct one in law, but more importantly is one that um, is aligned with your closely held values and beliefs, addresses your real concerns and fears and needs that you have, and uh, prioritizes the things that are most important to you. You have a really good heart. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, was, was there, Charmaine, was, was there a, a point maybe early on in your career where you were, I don't know if, if a, a tipping point is, is the right phrase, but there was something that made you really like, okay, I want to do the, the collaborative approach because what I see or maybe what I'm doing just doesn't feel right. 
Yeah, I would say there's probably been, you know, a, a few different things. So um, I still remember my first day of mediation training, and I kind of stumbled into mediation training um, because in law school, there was a course that I could take in law school, um, but I sort of felt like, oh, I could take that outside of law school. Like, if I'm going to be in law school, then I need to, you know, take substantive law things. I don't know that I would give my younger self that same advice now, but nonetheless, I didn't take any kind of mediation or interspace negotiation training at all in law school. It wasn't until I became an articling student and I honestly think I saw a flyer, like a fax. You know, you, I don't know if you know what fax machines are, but I feel like there was a fax that showed up one day that was like, hey, this mediation training. And I was like, hmm, this looks interesting to me because uh, I've always been somebody who wants to continue to learn new things. And the firm that I was working with at the time, I had asked about if they would, you know, pay for me to take this training and they were like oh, we don't really see that there's much of a business case for that and, but I just felt like well you know what I want to take it and I can still remember the first day and listening to the instructor tell this story that blew my mind and it was just a story about a, a little dispute that he had had with his wife and about how he had fallen into the trap of what we refer to as the conflict tornado where you kind of you sort of start like you're on the same page about something but then you have a difference of opinion and then it just escalates instead of just stopping and saying hold on where are you coming from with this right so he told the story about how he got caught in this conflict tornado and then told the story from the perspective saying however if I had done this or after when we talked about it and I realized this is what was important that you know this opened up this opportunity for brainstorming different options and I just literally like I can actually even visually remember where I was sitting and where the instructor was standing and I don't remember the details of the story but I remember this just moment of like wow this is how I want to see the world and so that was I, I think if I was to pinpoint a moment it was probably that but it wasn't the only moment because at that point I didn't know about collaborative law yet so that was the next thing that I I had became introduced to and as I took that training it just built on that and um, I'm a real reader I love to read and so um, reading books um, throughout my whole career. Another book that, or, or another moment was reading um, Nonviolent Communication. It's a, a theory by a gentleman by the name of Marshall Rosenberg. And um, there's lots, but the, the thing that really struck me when I was reading this first book that I stumbled upon of his was this idea of living life from a place of genuine curiosity and not judgment. That nothing is good and nothing is bad. So when you see somebody's behavior or you hear their words and you feel yourself judging them like this is wrong and of course, you know, tying this to the work that I do, this isn't uncommon as a lawyer, you hear your client's story about their experience and you're, you get triggered into a space of, um, well, the story I'm hearing, this is terrible. How could your other parent do this? And you're ex-spouse and, you know, so you're right away trying to build up this case in your mind based on their story and Marshall Rosenberg says hold on stop for a minute since you feel yourself being triggered by something where you want to judge it as good or bad ask yourself what it is about your needs that you have your closely held values and beliefs that is making you have that judgment and then just set that aside for a moment and recognize that the person that you're observing or you're hearing the story about 
they are choosing their actions and their words to address an unmet need and have a curiosity about what that unmet need is. Because if you can name that unmet need, you can then help that person think of other strategies to have that need met. Because they might not know, first of all, that the strategy that they've chosen is one that is like only one of many options to get their need met, but they may not even actually know that they've chosen it to have an unmet need met because frankly, you yourself probably didn't realize that that was happening for you. And so that was another very significant moment for me as far as just thinking about how can I interact with the world, my parenting with my husband, my children, but also my practice and my clients and, um, and that has been a you know real tenant for me to bring into these different processes that we work in. That, that's so interesting. I think that can be applied, especially these last couple of years during the pandemic. And there's been so many difference of opinions, lots of conflicts. Like wow, that I, I was just thinking of that. Like that that can be applied to so many different things. Um, you've been very generous with your time, so I only have a couple quick questions left. Um, you you have. I think you've touched on this throughout our conversation in terms of the qualities that um, a good collaborative lawyer um, has, but I'm, I'm wondering um, what, what you think, like if, there's, if there are certain qualities that, that a good collaborative lawyer needs in order to be, you know, successful. So um, what are some of the qualities that you think you've heard me speak to? Oh, oh I like this. Um, so I would say, obviously, being a good listener, um, empathy would be one. The one I'm curious though about is, and when you were talking about that first meeting, um, like, do you, I'm wondering if, if at any point, like, as a lawyer, do you, do you have to like put your, not put your foot down with your client, but like, do you have to sort of be like a bit more assertive with, with them in terms of like if, if they're maybe you know way off track or something or how they're feeling, like, do you have? Do you ever have to show tough love? Oh, I guess probably um, that might be one way of describing it. I think yeah. I think of it as reality checking. Oh, so, okay. um, and this is um, this is really important because, I, and I'm going to use. Uh, an extreme example, if I may. So if I've met with somebody who is talking about being in a coercive controlling relationship and um, perhaps they have no access to finances whatsoever and um, they're scared and they're looking for an immediate solution. So a traditional legal approach to that would be to talk about bringing a court application to be able to get an immediate order or to have an advanced distribution of family property or even getting exclusive possession of a home so that you could have some financial stability. Um, however, that's only one option because what's really um, important is for me to talk to my client about what's the next thing that will happen. So if you go and get that order, then what will that look like? Because you know your coercive controlling spouse better than I do. When they receive and when they're served with that order and they have the opportunity then to go to court to defend that order, what will that look like in your world? Um, and 
nine out of ten times what they describe that will look like is not an outcome that they want. So to problem solve then, what are some other ways to create that financial stability while ensuring first and foremost your safety and thinking through what are the next steps of what you could expect to occur and how might you address those. So the reality checking is not just for the unreasonable client who saw I want everything or I'm not paying child support or whatever. For those people, you know, it's like, well, you know, we're not always happy about the legal structure, but here's, you know, some spots in the legislation says this, or here's some case law that, you know, you could read about somebody in a similar situation to be able to understand what their outcome was. Um, you know, these are, this is information for you to consider to decide, you know, how much time and money do you want to spend on something that probably the outcome isn't going to be what you're wanting. That's the reality checking. But it's also, um, and that's why, you know, I don't know if tough love is necessarily the right way to describe it, but it is about helping people to think beyond their immediate choices and decisions to what does that look like next? And also, what does your future self think when they look back on the decisions that you made? Um, and what stories will your children tell about the decisions that you made and the consequences on them? Those are powerful questions, aren't they? They really are. So, to your question about what you know makes a, what are some helpful skills to have as a collaborative lawyer and mediator? Definitely, as you've described, right, being a good listener and having empathy, um, but also the ability to ask good questions, yeah. right? What did you hear me say? What does your future self think about this? Even the tell me more when somebody says there's this, that, and the other thing going on. Tell me more about that. Um, it's not the close-ended questions of well when did that happen and who else was there and was it raining and what did you do afterwards it's more tell me more because as they tell more um, in a really open-ended way you're gonna learn so much more about what's important to them and they'll even start to discover what's important to them Wow! Oh, that's so that's so interesting um, last question for you and it, it's a biggie um, what does your 96 year old father think of, of what of, you know what you're doing right now what, what does he think well I hate to speak for other people um, so these are of course just assumptions but I, I think my dad is very proud of the work that we do at my office um, some of my children work with me as well and uh, we're really hoping to develop you know a, a business that um, will will last far into the future right and not just involve other family members but for the potential there to be other family members and and I think that my dad finds it intriguing um, one of the highlights um, of, of something that's just happened recently is I talked to my dad about how I really wanted to find ways to be very genuine in incorporating um, principles from the calls to action um, in truth, in the spirit of truth and reconciliation and thinking so much about how so many of our cultural tensions that we have are, are based in this adversarial type of um, history that we have and how can we go back to some really important indigenous principles around um, 
you know, the healing circles and and talking and that those oral traditions and and my dad who has um, such wonderful relationships with indigenous communities uh, where they live and uh, we talked and he w um, asked an elder to create a talking stick for us um, to have in our office to be able to be used um, in our meetings where people really wanted to honor the principles of of truth and transparency and um, courage and even humor and uh, so my dad sought that out it was created he brought it um, to our office just recently and I was gifted this um, by my father with words of blessing to on the work that we do and so that will forever be something um, meaningful on so many different levels but will be a legacy um, that my dad will leave with us forever. That's a really wonderful story to end our conversation. Charmaine, it has been an absolute pleasure to, to speak with you um, this morning. It was great chatting with you on the phone a few weeks ago and then to, to meet you in person. And, and yeah, thank you for the work that you're doing and, and thanks for taking the time. Anytime. Thank you for inviting me. It was fun. This has been episode two, season five of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. You can find YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can also find every single episode of the podcast on yxeunderground.com. You can also find photos of Charmaine Panko from this episode taken by the wonderful Rana Andres on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply search YXE Underground. And if you like what you hear, please consider giving the podcast a five-star review. I want to say thank you to my cousin, Andrew Dixon, for the original theme music and to Saskatoon's Danger Dynamite for taking care of the website. I also want to give a heads up that another YXE Underground t-shirt sale will soon be taking place. The shirts will cost $30 and all of the money will go towards the Saskatoon Friendship Inn, which is helping so many people in our community who are struggling with food security. I'll post the shirts on the YXE Underground social media channels as soon as they arrive and thank you in advance for your support. Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that these interviews were gathered on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salthammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon. 